Hello and welcome to Genesis to Jesus, Lesson 1. Genesis to Jesus, Lesson 1. may have some people tuning in here. And if you're tuning in for the first time, you're wondering what's going on. Perhaps you were here last week and you're thinking, uh, we already had Lesson 1. Well, we had some technical difficulties last week, so I'm retaping lesson one so uh, we won't have that time constraint then that way we'll be back into lesson two this coming sunday genesis to jesus uh i'm glad that you have begun this class if you're taking this lesson for the first time i want to encourage you to pay very close attention to what i have to say and try to learn all that you can we're going to be learning about the Bible, God's Word. And I want to give you a little bit of my personal testimony before we get into why I'm teaching this Genesis to Jesus today. When I was a young man, uh, I was a Texas Highway Patrolman, and um, I was really wondering, you know, in life, I mean, I got to an age to where uh, I began questioning what the truth was. I don't know about you, but a lot of us here in the United States were raised in church. Some aren't being raised in church today like they used to be, but I was raised in church. And most people around here have had at least some exposure to going to church or hearing some sermons on television or something at the very least. And I was raised to be a Baptist. I was raised to uh, to be in church every time the doors were open. And I began to think as I got older, now, wait a minute, we have people down in Mexico, they were raised to be Catholics. We have people in the Middle East, they were raised to be Muslims. We have people in China that were raised to be Buddhists, in India that were raised to be Hindus. What makes my religion right and theirs wrong? What is the truth? How do I know that my religion is true? How do I know? And if I'm wrong, then I knew eternity was a long time to be wrong. You know, <laughs> I mean, eternity is a long time to be wrong. And so I remember telling God one night, I said, God, I know that you're real. I mean, I knew there was a God. I didn't have to really wonder about that. And, and if you're honest with yourself, you know, there's a God, too. I'd seen creation. Uh, as a trooper, I worked accidents. I mean, I investigated motor vehicle accidents. I saw a lot of them. And one thing I knew about accidents, accidents always create destruction, damage, and death. That's all they create. Destruction, damage, and death. Disorder. Never order. They always cause disorder, you know, and uh, only an intentional act can create order, construction, and life. Never once did I see somebody involved in a motor vehicle accident crash their car into somebody uh, and the, the, the car turns over and everything and the airbags go off and the person get out of the car and go, oh, yeah, I feel much better now. Never happened. 
not one time. You always called the ambulance. You always called the fire department. You always called the funeral home when there was an accident involved. You always called a tow truck when there was an accident involved. They caused disorder. They caused destruction. They caused damage and death. And I knew that this world and this man did not get here by accident. My life did not come about by accident. The stars in the heaven, the sun, the moon did not get here by accident. And since I knew there was a God, then I knew he would have to reveal himself to mankind. I mean, why would a God create us and then abandon us and never tell us anything? Why would he say, well, I'm going to create this world, this incredible universe, this beautiful earth, in these these people, and I'm just going to go hide myself and not say anything to them and not let them know why they're here, uh, what they're supposed to be doing, where they're going, why they have to die, what happens after death. I'm not going to tell them anything. I knew if there was a God, and I knew there was a God, but since there was a God, I knew that God would naturally have to reveal himself to man and answer those most important questions that I had as a young man. And so how does God reveal himself to us? I knew there had to be some type of authority, some type of of something that I could put my finger on and go to and say, okay, here's the truth. And that brought me ultimately to the Bible, God's word. Yes, there are other books that religions have that claim to be holy books. Uh, but only the Bible claims to have God as its author. Only the Bible. But I set out, to be fair, I set out to study every religion I could get my hands on. I told God that night, I don't care what the truth is. I don't care if it's Mormon. I don't care if it's Jehovah's Witness. I don't care if it's Muslim. I don't care if it's Catholic. I don't care if it's Buddhism. I don't care what it is. I just want to know the truth. And then I will commit myself to that truth. I just want to do what's right and know that when I die, I'm not going to be condemned to hell. I'm not going to perish. There's going to be some hope for me, some reason for living. And so I set out to study the religions that were out there. Hinduism, you know, they claim to have some scriptures that uh, were inspired by some sage with magical powers, some wise man with magical powers. But but Hinduism, it teaches that people can worship a God in the way they want to worship him or her or it. And they can worship whatever they imagine their God to be. So in the end... You can make God into anything you want him or her or again it to be. And you can worship it or her however you choose. You know what that is? That's idolatry. It's no different than just making a little figurine and taking a piece of wood and taking you a knife and whittling it and carving it into a certain shape. And saying, ah, that looks like a a nice God to me. I'll, 
I'll worship it and I'll say that this God has this kind of powers and I'll begin to worship this piece of wood. All it is, is a person worshiping what they carved out of their own imagination. I personally would rather have a piece of wood or stone. At least it's tangible. At least you can see it. But that's all it is, is man making a God in his image, in however he chooses that God to be, whether or not how they imagine God is real, is true. And so I knew that could not be the truth, uh, like uh, Buddhism uh, and many other religions, Hinduism. Uh, a lot of these religions, they believe in karma. Almost all of the Eastern religions uh, believe in karma, meaning that you're going to enjoy some type of heavenly pleasure or suffer some type of terrible consequence as the result of your good deeds or your misdeeds here on earth. And in both cases, whether you suffer or you, you, are, you get rewarded after your life is over, then you learn from the lessons of your previous life, and then you start a new cycle of life all over again until you continue to learn all the lessons you're supposed to learn. You finally become at one with whatever God is. And you have all the errors removed from your life, and you completely conquer all of your temptations, your lusts, your sins, or your your whatever you want to call your misdeeds. And I knew that couldn't be right. I mean, the world has been going on for thousands of years. Of course, the evolutionists would say millions and billions of years. But even if you're conservative, you would say thousands of years. And look at us. We're not getting any better. The world's getting worse. People aren't learning their lessons and coming back reincarnated as better and better and better people or species. You know, um, in this reincarnation, this karma, do you know how they believe that works? They believe that the <clears throat> there's a soul in every one of us. And when we die, that soul goes up, it goes somewhere, wherever it goes. And then when it gets reintroduced back into the life cycle, the soul comes down in the raindrops, enters into the ground, gets sucked up through the water because the souls are in the raindrops and the, the little grass roots, for example, will suck the, the soul into its roots, become part of the blade of grass. And then a goat will come along, a sheep, a cow a bug, whatever, and then eat that blade of grass. And then when they eat the blade of grass, then that little soul that's in the water that become part of the blade of grass then goes into the bug or the goat or the cow or the sheep's stomach. In this case, let's just say a cow. And if it's a bull, a male uh, cow, then... If it happens, that little soul happens to get into the cow's semen, then the cow has intercourse with a female cow. Then that soul can be reborn as a calf or as a goat or as a bug 
or a rat or whatever it is that happens to be eaten. So the lives get born as a cow or a bug or something, all depending on how good their previous life was. And they learn their lessons and they go back. They come back down in raindrops again, become part of the vegetation, get eaten again, and then over and over and over. And that's absolutely ridiculous. I couldn't believe anything. So foolish is that, but that's what they believe. You got to get back into life somehow, right? And so I knew I couldn't believe that. I knew I had to have something that didn't come as a result of my imagination. I didn't want a God that I imagined, that I made up. I didn't want to tell God how I believed he's supposed to be and how I should worship him. I wanted the creator to tell me how he really was and how he wanted me to worship him and what there was for me to know about him. And so that brings me to the Bible, specifically the Old Testament that claims to have God as its author. Yes, there are other religions like Islam, like Mormonism, like Jehovah's Witness, but all of those religions are based on the Jewish Old Testament. Notice I said Jewish. I mean, a lot of people think of Christianity or they think of the Bible and think, well, that's a white man's religion. That's an American religion. That's a Western religion. Actually, it's not. It's from the East. It's from the Middle East. It's from Israel. And uh, it's from the Jews. It's not a white man's religion at all. And uh, it's God's revelation of himself to man. And so Islam is based on the Old Testament. Christianity is based on the Old Testament. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Catholicism, all based on the Old Testament. So if you want to understand God's revelation to man, you have to start with the Old Testament. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, when we're looking here at the Bible, we have to understand that, again, we're left with a book that has God to be its author. And this book is split. If you were to take your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, then put me on pause and get you a Bible. And then come back after you get you a Bible. We're going to use the index a lot in here, okay? And let me come around to you so you can see this index better. You see this index here, it's split up into Old Testament and the New Testament. You see Old Testament up here, New Testament down here. So when I'm saying, for example, turn to the book of Exodus, I will say it's in the Old Testament. And so then you would look in your index, you would go down to Exodus, you would find out what page it's on. And that way it'll be quick for everybody because it's not important for you to hear what I have to say. It's important for you to hear what God has to say in his word. And so when I point to something and I'm quoting from a scripture, hey, it's good for you to read it for yourself, right? Don't take my word for it. I'm not teaching you about myself. I'm trying to teach you about God's word. So in the Bible, we have this, you know, this index, this table of contents. 
there's all kinds of different types of Bibles. Um, but I have a study Bible. Again, I'm going to come around here. And in a study Bible, you have these chapters, you have these verses, you have, you know, little notes in the middle. And sometimes you have some notes down here. Only the chapters and verses, the ones recorded like this with these verses, they are the only part of the Bible that's Scripture. The notes in the middle, the notes on the bottom or the top or wherever your notes may be, those were added by men who put them there as a study aid to help you. But they may be incorrect. So they're not part of God's Word. In fact, the Bible didn't even have chapters and verses uh, when it was first written. Uh, it was just, you know, a particular book. And later, people added chapters and verses, sort of like how we add, um, uh, like addresses. We'll say uh, a person lives at 200. Uh, Washington Drive, okay, and whatever city and state and country. So when you put that uh, address there, it allows a person to get to a specific place in the world, a very specific place. And so with the chapters and verses in the books, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 2, it allows us to go to a particular address in the Bible, okay? And so that's all those are there for, okay? Now, uh, the Bible itself was written over a period of 1,600 years by about 40 different men, okay? And those men were called prophets, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, the Bible is written by men, so it's got errors in it. Not so. God is the author of the Bible. Man is the writer. And I used this example before, and I'm going to use it again. Let's say that I am the uh, chief, chief executive officer of a large company. I'm in my office, and I buzz my secretary, and I say, Miss Jones, would you come in here, please? She says, yes, Mr. Fulton. So she comes in and I say, Miss Jones, I need you to take a note for me and send a letter off for me. And she says, OK. And so she takes her pen. And I'm telling her, uh, write, dear sirs, uh, I regret to inform you that due to unforeseen circumstances, I will be unable to attend a particular meeting on such and such date. Uh, please allow Mr. Rogers to come fill in in my stead, blah, 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 blah. And I say sincerely, Richard Fulton, CEO, Fulton Financial Services, or whatever it is, okay? I don't own Fulton Financial Services, but while we're imagining, let's dream big. And so the lady says, yes, sir. She goes back. She types it all out on her computer. She prints it out and then brings it to me, and I sign it. I sign it. Bows my signature, authenticating that that letter's from me. She then puts it in the mail, and she mails it off to the intended recipients. Now, who wrote the letter? My secretary did. Who was the author of the letter? I am. Whose words were in the letter? My words, her writing, 
She's the one that sent it off. She's the one that wrote it up, but she did so at my command based on my authority using my words. That is the Bible. Okay? Now, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Now, 2 Timothy is in the New Testament. So look in the, your uh, table of contents in the New Testament. Look down for 2 Timothy and then turn to chapter 3 when you get there, uh, verse 16. 2 Timothy, verse 16. I already have the notes uh, written down, so uh, I'll wait for you to turn there. And again, if you're watching this on demand, you can always hit pause and then turn there and then start it back up again. In 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, let me remind you, Scripture is that part of the Bible that God wrote, okay? If the secretary would have written something in there like um, uh, written on such and such date um, uh, or whatever, she added some notes on the side, those wouldn't have been my words. Those would have been her words, okay? Uh, but what I wrote in that, in the body of my letter, it's my words. So the scripture is the body of the letter, so to speak, of the Bible. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, there's different kinds of spiration, if you will. There is inspiration, there is respiration, there is expiration, okay? And so when you expire, you breathe out and you don't breathe back in again, okay? You die, that's expiration. When you respire, respiration, that's breathing in and out, in and out, over and over again. When you inspire, then you are breathing in too, breathing in too, literally breathing in, okay? And so all scripture is given by inspiration. It means it's from the breath of God. The letter that the secretary wrote up, where did those words come from? They come from my breath. I spoke them. The air in my lungs went over my vocal folds. They vibrated, created sounds. She heard them. She wrote them down. So it's her handwriting, but the words literally came directly from my, the breath of my mouth. That is what this means. In, in the Greek, well, the, the word inspiration literally means God breathed. Okay, It's from the breath of God. And so all scripture is the word of God itself. And, and it says here, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Turn to Second Peter now. That's also in the New Testament. Second Peter, chapter one. Second Peter, chapter one. This is going to be verse twenty and twenty-one. Second Peter, chapter one, verse twenty and twenty-one. Again, people say, "Oh, the Bible was written by man, and that's man's opinion and everything." The Bible has something to say about that too. Okay, if that secretary mails that letter off, whose opinion is that? Whose thoughts are those? Are they her thoughts because she wrote it, because she typed it out on the typewriter? No, 
They're my thoughts. They're from my heart. Okay. And so in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, the Bible says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. It means it's not anybody's personal opinion. The Bible, nowhere in the Bible do you have anybody's personal opinion. It says, for the prophecy, that is the scripture that's been prophesied, came not in old time by the will of man. In other words, man didn't say, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to write a Bible. Or I'm going to write some prophecy here. That's not how it came about. It says, it came not by the will of man, but holy men, that means special men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost means the Spirit of God himself moved on those men and told them what to say, what to write, just as I told my secretary what to write. The wonderful thing about God's word is it never changes. As uh, a law enforcement officer, uh, which I've been doing now for over 30 years, been in law enforcement, and uh, there's one thing about the law. It's always changing. You, you have to go for updates all the time to know how the law changed from the previous year. And sometimes if you've been doing it for, for a long time, you may be acting on, a, on what you remember the law to be 15, 20 years ago. And the law is completely different because man changes. The wonderful thing about God's word is the word never changes because God never changes. He gave us his truth. And because it's true, that truth never changes. You can always depend on it, okay? You never need an update. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 89. Psalm 119. That's about in the middle of your Bible. If they ever tell you to turn the book of Psalms, you can pretty much go to the middle of your Bible and just open it up. You'll be somewhere close to the book of Psalms. And in Psalm 119, verse 89, again, that's in the Old Testament. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Oh, I'm so glad I have an unchanging book I can rely on. Now, again, God used prophets, these special men, to write his words down in the Bible. Take your Bible, please. And turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 30. And I'm going to turn there too. Isaiah chapter 30. If you're in Psalms, you just go to the right. And you'll run into the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30. This is a really neat verse here. And this is where God is speaking to one of the prophets. Isaiah was a prophet. And, uh, and so listen to what God told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8. He told Isaiah, now go, write it before them in the table, not, not a table you eat at, like a table of stone. He says, and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. You see what God is doing with his word when he's speaking to Isaiah? 
he tells Isaiah, here's the message I have for you, Isaiah, and here's what I want you to do with this message that I've been giving you. I want you to write it in, in, the, in, a, in a table, in a tablet, like what we would say today. He says, put in a book. He says that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. In other words, I, I'm giving you this message, not just for you, Isaiah, not just for the people of your day, but for the people over the next hundred years and the next generation, the next generation, forever. Record my word and document it so that someone named Richard Fulton can read it and someone, whoever you are, is listening today can read it and know and understand that I love man enough to reveal myself to him, to her, and let them know who I really am and what I'm like so you can know the truth about your creator. That's the God who loves you. God's word is perfect. Psalm 33 Verse 4, if you're in Isaiah, just turn back to your left again. You'll run back into Psalms. Psalm 33, turn a few books back to your left. You'll see Proverbs. Psalm is to the left of Proverbs. The 33rd Psalm. Everyone should be there by now. In verse 4. The Bible says, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. The word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Man, we have a Bible that we can rely on. It's true. It's true. External evidence, archaeology, history, geology. Science, they all confirm the word of God, even though other people deny they do. They all confirm God's word. And we'll go more into that uh, in, a, in a future lesson. But there's also internal evidence, too, about the Bible. Now, I told you before, and we're about to sum this up for today. But I told you before that the Bible is written over a period of 1600 years. by About 40 different men. Now, men don't live to be 1,600 years old. In the Bible, uh, the people who uh, the prophets God used, they might have lived to be 100. But 1,600 years uh, time frame that, you know, was spread out when uh, these books were written because the Bible, again, Old Testament, New Testament, you're actually looking at a collection of 66 books in the Bible, you see. And uh, those 66 books compile the one book, the Bible. It's, the Bible is more like a library than it is a book. It contains a collection of books. Okay, And the people who wrote these 66 books were scattered out over time. God did it on purpose. So that there would be a progressive revelation. Okay, And so over this time here, uh, God progressively revealed more and more and more information. Now, I want to give you an example of what God did, the internal evidence of the Bible. It's absolutely amazing. Back in the old days, nobody knew what a car was, right? I mean, they had a horse, they had chariots, a wagon, but a self-propelled automobile Nobody had a clue what it was. 
But let's say that one of these 40 prophets, the very first one, let's say he wrote about an engine. Now, he didn't know what a car was, but he wrote describing an engine. And it sounded weird to the people back then when he wrote about it, but he wrote about something that describes something like an internal combustion engine, okay? The crankshaft and all that good stuff. He writes about an engine. And then someone else comes along uh, 200 years later. They write about uh, transmission, okay? And then someone else comes along and they write about uh, a frame, okay? And then someone else comes along and they write about wheels and tires and and then someone else comes along a few hundred years later and they write about auto body parts, you know, the, the actual body of the car. And then finally, at the very end, when, when, when the book is summed up, somebody comes along, puts all of these parts together, And they write about a 2022 Hyundai Tucson limited trim level with a particular vehicle identification number that sets it apart from every other vehicle that would ever be made or ever had been made. You know, a vehicle identification number is like a fingerprint, sets it apart from every other car. And they write about this vehicle. And they explain how all these parts, even though these people didn't know what a car was back then, how all these parts fit together. And now, look, they form an automobile with a particular VIN number. And then here's the neatest thing. Let's say that you could take the last part of the Bible and use it like a flashlight. And when you shine the flashlight on this car, here's the light illuminating out. You shine the flashlight on this car, and suddenly you can see a shadow of the car. In every single book. In the Old Testament, you take this away, you take this part away, all you see is parts. But you begin reading these books with the understanding of this, and suddenly it illuminates this, and you can see that all of these cars were hidden there from the very beginning with the exact same vehicle identification number. As this, and you suddenly realize they were talking about this car all along. And the only way to see those cars is to see it this direction. Their light shows on it and it appears. And they've been there the whole time. And if you had something like that, then you would know these men had no way of doing that, that they were latent 
like a like a fingerprint. Man, when I was in law enforcement, and, and I would like get a, a a stolen vehicle or something, and and I would there would be fingerprints in that car. I couldn't see them. They were called latent fingerprints. And I would take dust, and I would take this fingerprint dust, this powder, and I would dust the vehicle for prints. And maybe it was on a, uh, a rear view mirror or something, and I'd get dust on that rear view mirror. And suddenly there would be a fingerprint appear. And guess whose fingerprint would be there? The suspect I was investigating, right? The print was there the whole time. I didn't put the print there. I didn't even know if there was a print there. There was uh, powder applied, and the powder revealed the print I could not see. The New Testament is like that fingerprint powder to the Old Testament. The New Testament cannot exist without the old. You can't have a car without the body parts. The Old Testament, on the other hand, has no knowledge of the car without the New Testament. It puts them together. And it's so arranged like this over the 1600 years by 40 different men, many who didn't even know each other. And nobody could see the fingerprints of the car. Nobody could read the VIN number until the powder was applied. And there it was. The whole time it was there. That's what we're going to see when we study God's Word. Perhaps you're like me. Oh, there's been so many people. They said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to set out and I'm going to read. I'm going to read the Bible all the way through. And so they start out in Genesis and it starts out pretty easy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on and, okay, this is pretty interesting, you know. And the next thing you know, it gets into people's big, long names that you can't pronounce and the children's names that they had you can't pronounce and all these laws that don't seem to make a whole lot of sense to us. And suddenly it's like we get really bogged down. And uh, I did anyway. When I first started out to read the Bible, I stopped. I just got too bogged down with a bunch of big words that I didn't understand. And maybe that's your experience, too. Uh, but we're going to study the Bible the way it was intended to be studied. We're not going to get all caught up with the carpet and the interior and uh, the computer microchips or whatever in the car. We're going to study the main components of the car, the main message of the Bible. We're going to keep it simple. And go A to B, B to C, C to D, until we finally get to the end. And we're going to link all the parts of the Bible together for you, making it simple and easy for you to understand. The, uh, the Bible is an amazing book. And I'm very grateful for it. And... When I grew up, I thought I understood the Bible really well. I mean, I told you before, I was raised in church. But let me tell you what happened to me. Picture this as a box, an empty box. I would go to church, and I would hear a sermon, or I would go to Sunday school. 
And it was like they took a puzzle piece and they dropped it in my box. And every time I went to church, there'd be another sermon, another Sunday school lesson, another puzzle piece dropped inside my box. And after going to church for 18, 20 years, I had a pretty good amount of puzzle pieces in there. I'd walk around. My box was kind of heavy. My my religious box, I would shake it. <laughs> I could hear the pieces inside. It felt substantial. I thought, well, I've got a good religion here until it got challenged. And I really didn't know what the the Bible was really about. I, I mean, I thought I did, but suddenly I didn't even know if it was true, if it was real. And I was I was confused. And a lot of people are like that. They have questions. They've been dying to get answered their whole life, and no one's ever answered it for them. I had the big box of puzzle pieces. You know what the problem was? Nobody ever put the puzzle together for me. They never put the puzzle together. And if you have all you have in religion is a big jigsaw puzzle with a bunch of pieces, you don't know what the picture is. You don't know what God's message is to you. Worse than that, a lot of the pieces that were put in my box, they didn't belong there. They weren't true. It was false doctrine, bad teaching. Some of the pieces were missing because they were never taught to me. And so you have a lot of people, most people, they have a box of puzzle pieces without all the pieces and with some pieces that don't even belong there. And so if you started trying to cram those pieces together, you would see you would not have the proper picture that God wanted you to see. You wouldn't have the message you were supposed to have. So what we're going to do over the next uh, six months or so, however long it takes us to do this, this class, we're going to take God's word and we're going to go step by step by step to the Bible. Taking the parts like puzzle pieces and snapping them in place one by one by one until we get down to the end and take that final puzzle piece and put it in place and give you the full color, vivid picture that God wants you to see in his word, the Bible. So I hope you'll continue to come lesson after lesson, piece after piece, until that puzzle is finally solved in your heart. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for those who came today. Thank you for those who watched this lesson. God be with them and help them continue to come, Father. And teach your word through me, I pray, and making it clear until they see your message from your word. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thank you for coming.